0: This is Chapter 135 of the WCBS Author Talks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, a popular detective series comes to a satisfying end. We get a peek at the future as imagined by a German comedian. And we find out how writer dreams can come true from an accountant turned thriller writer. If you grew up on a steady diet of Agatha Christie, Nancy Drew, Sherlock Holmes, then you share something in common with best-selling author Maureen Johnson. She's the author of the wildly popular Young Adult Truly Devious series. The books follow Stevie Bell, a teen detective determined to solve the decades-old cold case at her quirky Vermont boarding school. Think all those fictional detectives, plus a little Harry Potter, and a lot of spunk. Johnson recently stopped by our studios to discuss The Hand on the Wall, the final book in her trilogy. I'm sure there are a lot of fans out there who are really excited to see how it all ends. I hope so. I I mean, these were, I read straight through them during Christmas break, and I'm very excited that I got to read all of them and I know what the end is already because I couldn't imagine still waiting to see how it ends. This is a good time to get on board because you can get the whole thing, you can just binge the whole season. So for people who aren't familiar with it and haven't picked it up yet, there are two timelines. Mm -hmm. One in the 1936, the other one's present day, Mm -hmm. featuring their own deaths, disappearances, mysteries that Stevie Bell, your main character, is convinced are connected. Did you have this all figured out when you sat down to write these three books?
1: Yes. Because these are mysteries, you have to know the ending. And you have to know all of the, the steps. that. So really, I think with mysteries, you start in the middle and you work your way out. You work with not even what happened or who did it, but I think you start with why, and then you spin your way out. But you ha- it, mysteries are clockworks. You have to know the details. It's all about the details. It's all about the puzzle. It's all about the solution.
0: And where for you did this original core idea come from?
1: Well, I wanted to do a, a classic mystery, and specifically I wanted to do a detective story. Because I love me some detectives. That's what I grew up reading, just obsessively. You know, I didn't play sports; balls bounced off my head. I was reading two Agatha Christies a day and obsessing over how Hercule Poirot solved mysteries, or or Miss Marple, or Sherlock Holmes, or Harriet Vane, or Lord Peter, or I mean, I I really love a puzzle mystery, a classic mystery. And I started by wanting to make one of those. So I had to create a system in which my teen detective could live. And I built I I built her, I built the school around her and I built the events. And I kind of constructed the whole uh, ecology of Ellingham Academy, which is this academy for people that have special interests or skills up in the mountains of Vermont. And it's a very unusual building with a lot of unusual architecture and tunnels and fake walls and windows. And so, yeah, started at the end, built it up out of my desire to build a classic, a really classic puzzle mystery.
0: And I think you really end up with that. And there are also all those detectives, literary detectives that you mentioned. You know, you really get a feel for them through the book. And they also happen to be favorites of of Stevie.
1: Yeah, well, that was pretty easy to map that onto her, but I really wanted to make her a true crime obsessive, a fictional crime obsessive. She loves mysteries, and that's her passion, and that's, she wants to solve one someday.
0: Is she you?
1: She's got elements of me. (laughs) I mean, I always wanted, I'm always like, one day I will find the body, and I will figure out who did it. Um, My husband is English, and he grew up in a little English village in the woods with the vicar and the church, and the, so... I mean, every once in a while, I I look at him and go, did I do this on purpose because I want to solve the, he definitely comes from an English murder village for sure. If you see, (laughs) if you see his village, it's got wild ponies walking around stealing picnic baskets and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is just, here's a little fact. When I went there and saw the little church and he's like, oh, and there's um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, my parents take care of him. He's buried there. He really is buried there. He's just out there.
0: Yes. That's very apropos for you. It
1: was very... And they just seemed to react like it was nothing at all. He's like, oh, there he is. (laughs) Like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, "Yeah, my parents clear off his grave and stuff sometimes?
0: That's very cool.
1: It's just... Yeah. It's unreal.
0: And so, Ellingham, Mm -hmm. I think, is a school that any really nerdy kid wishes actually existed in right. real life because it's a real life school but it kind of has that little bit of play of like maybe a Hogwarts a little mm-hmm. bit with the magic the mystery if you were an LEM student what would your thing be while you were there because the kids are all specialized in a way
1: uh, I'm not sure I mean my high school was still the opposite of that I went to a Catholic girls academy where they locked us in during the day and that's not a joke they actually locked the doors so we were not allowed outside <laughs> and um, we had it was very very rigid and um, I, I pretty much spent all of my um, high school years trying to figure out I would wanted to dig a tunnel to get out so um, maybe I put us made a school full of tunnels so that I could uh, to get in or something but I don't know probably this it would be something very it would be something writing related or something sort of intangible, and that's what Stevie's problem is, is a lot of her friends have what she considers to be very tangible skills. Robotics, computers, writing, dance, art, languages, um, music, and she is, she shows up and says, I'm a detective, I'm obsessed with, I want to solve cold cases, and the school says, okay, you know, we, we, we absorb your interest, and we'll set you up on a program of history, of of um, anatomy, of but she, her, she has a little bit of an unusual portfolio, and I guess that would have been me as well.
0: I've been like, I don't really
1: know what my skill set is. Writing right. something, I guess,
0: shrug, elaborate shrug. Let's talk about her friends a little bit, the other characters. They're kids from all different stripes, all different interests, fashion senses, sexual orientation. Why is it so important for a book written for young readers to be that inclusive, do you think?
1: That's how life is and should be. I mean, I think if Ellingham is about how life should be, because it's a good place, then it should reflect good values. And so it would only make sense that uh, people all along the gender spectrum, the sexual uh, orientation spectrum, of all races, of all religions, you know, it's just, uh, that's just what that's what life is so I don't even regard it as sort of in any way unusual to do that's just real life that's it's that's the that's a a life if Ellingham is a good school that I mean aside from all the murdering um, it's there's still that there's a okay there are a bunch of deaths but it is otherwise a really good place and that is I just, I don't know. I just, um, I'm a clean living person with good values. I like to think, and the, those are the good values I like to represent. Is that everybody's welcome?
0: So, is is the politics too part of that? That that's part of that's how life is. Because there, there is there's there's there yeah. politics in there, but how are you,
1: how would we write a book right now that didn't involve a discussion of how the world? I mean, if you unless you're writing true fantasy or an alternate history, um. This, you know, you can't, the world we live in out is extremely complicated and politics is life. It's reality. It's not, it's not over there. It's not something in the distance. It's, it affects us every day. It's part of, it's part of the air we breathe.
0: What's the reader reaction been like? The, the, the kids who, I'm sure they devour these books.
1: I, I think that if you're a mystery lover, I've tried, I mean, I am really talking to the mystery lovers. Cause I'm, I'm one of them. I think it's it's been really positive. Um, I really hope that, and I feel like the hand on the wall really wraps it all up and answers all the questions. I mean, it was like pulling off a math, a word problem that lasted four years. But when I did it, I kind of threw my pencil down. And was like, ta-da, I did it. I read I, every, every, not every... So it was like I pulled off a trick, and then I did a little dance around the room, going, "I did it! Look at me! I did it!" Um, people seem to like it. So far, only a couple of people have read *The Hand on the Wall*. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom says it's great, so that's good. And um, but no, the the response has been really good.
0: I'm one of those few people who got to read it, and I'm also grew up on mysteries, mm-hmm. type of person, and this was right in my wheelhouse, and like inhaled these books. Hooray! I I can't believe you wrote three books like this with this complicated almost double plot in four years.
1: Definitely. It it was probably even a little less. Um, It definitely had that conspiracy wall feel to it where I had to remember every... So there were... So from the beginning I created solution files and a bunch of spreadsheets because I had to know all the locations, the times, the, the threads and um, all you know what the significance of each one was and where it was placed
0: yeah no I so. can't I can't even imagine and just thinking about how your book is laid out where you know you dip in and out between the two timelines and also you dip in and out between the two books or the between the three books everything kind of comes full circle and I think like you said I think you tied a little bow on everything that was maybe left open
1: I attempted to yeah
0: I think you came very
1: close to that. If you like um, whiteboards and charts and long, you know, long strings of paper that have a lot of writing on them and actually sometimes drawing lines to interconnect so I could see where all the different points interconnect. If you like, do you like office supplies? Maybe this is the book for you. (laughs) I do. I'm like, what I need is every post-it that's ever, every size, every color, bring them all to
0: me. Now, have you saved all that stuff?
1: Mm, mm, No have the solution files anything that was documented but a lot of it happens on a whiteboard mm-hmm. and then from the whiteboard where all the scrolling would happen then it would get converted into into notes I'm sure they're somewhere all the solution files definitely are
0: so do you plan on writing something like this again or are you gonna try something else
1: I will say that there may be another um I would say that maybe keep your eye out for Stevie Bell Ooh. I, I can say that with a lot of confidence in maybe some standalone maybe that's happening Maybe that's happening next. Maybe that is actually just what's happening. Oh, Maybe there's like a new that. detective that's been established that will go off and solve other cases.
0: And has there been any sort of interest of bringing this onto a smaller big screen?
1: Uh, there has. Um, I've had, I mean, it's a lot of discussions. Mm-hmm. I was just out in LA a bunch um, because I had a, um, a Netflix film called, with the, with, called Let It Snow, which is I wrote with John Green and Laura Miracle. So, um, I've had my LA experiences with my sunglasses and, um, my avocado toast. Um, so I, I would say put a pin in it.
0: All right. And I enjoyed Let It Snow. I actually, I watched that before I read the books and I thought this was really sweet. I really liked this. It's a
1: pretty fun Christmas movie. I mean, I have to say it's, it had that, like, that's, that's what I like out of a Christmas movie. It's pretty funny. Yeah. There are some very funny scenes. And I, some of the funniest scenes, I'm like, we didn't write that. That wasn't <laughs> us. That was the screenwriters. And that's super funny. They did a great job.
0: Yeah, it was really enjoyable. And if the if you and them can do that, I can't wait to see what you do with the Truly Devious series.
1: Let's hope. So, yeah, we'll see.
0: All right. Maureen Johnson, thank you for coming by and talking to us. The newest one is the Hand on the Wall The other two, if you want to read them in order, is Truly Devious and The Vanishing Stare.
1: Yeah, you have to read them in order or it will make no sense.
0: Yes, this is true. Got to get them all. Got to get them all like a Pokemon. German author Mark Uwe Kling has seen the future, and it is terrifying. In his dystopian satirical novel Quality Land, an online retailer known as The Shop anticipates what you need before you know you need it. It's all fine and good until one day the algorithm goes hilariously wrong and delivers machine scrapper Peter Jobless. yes that's his name, something that he really doesn't need, causing him to question everything about his seemingly perfect world. Mark was kind enough to speak with me about the book that spent months on the German bestseller lists. This story, it was very funny but also very scary. You have to tell me what inspired it.
2: I was interested in writing a satire about the bigger picture. So I started with the world building. There's a lot of the things in the book sound like science fiction, but are already happening, just not in the this extreme version. You know what I mean? So I
0: think a lot of people will recognize the shop as what Amazon is. But I found it interesting that while you name several prominent Silicon Valley people like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, you actually never mentioned Jeff Bezos by name. Was that intentional?
2: No, I, I, that's interesting. And I, I actually have never thought about that. <laughs> I mean, there's a Bezos kind of guy in the story, of course. So maybe that's the reason I didn't mention him by name, but uh, it, it wasn't intentional
0: the main story it, it isn't a straight narrative um we have online news stories from this place quality land as well as tips from a visitors guide why did you s- decide to break up the writing like that
2: i just figured it would suit the story because what's happening with the online media is as well that our attention span gets shorter and shorter and we need new kicks from news feeds and whatever also in the german edition Uh, We did two different versions of the book. So the story was the same, but the new suite was totally different. Basically, you would go to your best friend and you say, oh, I read this book. And she said, I read it too. And then you'd realize, oh, we didn't even read the same book because it was personalized.
0: That had to be a lot of work.
2: It was an insane amount of work. and I don't think I'd do it again, but it was a, a fun experiment.
0: It's also interesting that it seems that the machines and robots in your book have more personalities and a bigger conscience than the humans in your story.
2: Yes, that was probably one of the recurring themes of the book is that machines become more human and humans become more machine-like.
0: Do you think this is where we're headed and that it's inevitable or are there enough Peter Joblesses out there in the world that are willing to question the algorithm?
2: I think nothing's inevitable, not even death anymore, I guess. So uh, I, I, I'm sure there are enough Peter Jobs. I, I hope there are enough people around who want to change.
0: And the book is already being adapted uh, into a TV show by the co-creator Silicon Valley. Are you looking forward to being introduced to an American audience?
2: Sure, definitely. Um, I've, I've been there and uh, sat in the writer's room for a week and it's uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really funny, and I'm totally looking forward to this.
0: And when can we expect to see that?
2: Oh, gosh, don't ask me. I, <laughs> I don't know. Next year, probably.
0: All right. Well, I look forward to seeing it. The book was really very enjoyable, and I think anyone who maybe is a little disenfranchised with the way the world is right now would would enjoy picking up uh, Quality Land. Uh, Mark Uwe Kling, thank you so much for giving us some time today to talk about sure. it. There are more than a few people out there who dream of quitting their day job to write full-time. You can count Amy K. Green among them. And she freely admits she's been trying to do anything but her real job, which is accounting, by the way, since graduating. Well, she's finally done it. Her debut thriller, The Prize Girl, hit shelves this month. We
3: recently chatted about it. It's about two half-sisters. Virginia, the older sister, she's 26. She's just a hot mess. A lot of dark stuff going on there. And then her younger half-sister, Jenny, is 14 and a former pageant queen. And just everybody thinks is, you know, this perfect little girl. And on page one, you, found out, you find out she's been murdered. And it kind of rocks the town. And Virginia is the only one who really starts to think that something really bad could have happened. Well, obviously something really bad happened. But other than just the assumption that it was just, you know, a pedophile or a stranger came into town, she's the one who really knows there could be some darkness going on in their borders.
0: I think one of the first things that came to mind when reading it is the is the case of JonBenet Ramsey. Did, did that true
3: crime story inspire this fictional one? You know, that's funny. I hear that a lot and obviously I understand why, but having Jenny be a former pageant queen actually came later in the process to me. I mean, obviously before I started writing it, but I really started from a place where I figured out the structure I wanted and I wanted it to be one timeline occurring before the murder, one timeline occurring after the murder in a way that bounced back and forth. And I I knew who I wanted Virginia to be because I related to that character more, you know, because she's older. And I then tried to figure out, okay, who could be the opposite of her? Like I wanted her to to be the other character to be somebody she'd be invested in, but so different from her. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go with age. Age is an easy way to make them, you know, different enough. And then I wanted to make her more angelic compared to Virginia's darkness. And then it kind of came to me there. So it wasn't something I set out to do in the beginning. It just kind of landed there.
0: You mentioned this is it's told from from both sisters viewpoints.
3: And I wanted to know if you found
0: one easier to write
3: than the other. I would say yes. I would say Virginia was definitely easier just because I don't know how old it was. Probably 30 at the time and (laughs) it was closer to the way I saw the world. But. You know, I remember what it's like to be 14, and I, you know, that was a long time ago, but you still knew so much more about the world than people want to think 14-year-olds know about, well, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and I, I know it's only worse now because with the internet and Instagram and all the lovely things we have now, so I could get there, but it didn't come as natural as writing a character who was closer to my age did.
0: The setting is a small town and classic small town scenario. You have these characters struggling to escape it and others who end up getting stuck. Is that what you really think life in a small town is like? (laughs) Well, I
3: grew up in a small town, so um, I don't I don't really think that. I think I just project a lot of what I was thinking. You know, I just wasn't content living in the small town when I was growing up. Small towns are absolutely wonderful, and there's nothing wrong with living in them. I just, I wanted to leave. So I think I just kind of put that out onto the world in my story.
0: Well, I think that's also, too, it's something that comes with age, right? Because when you're a kid, you're just, or a teen, you're really just fighting against the walls that you feel you've, you've, or the box that you've been put into. And as you become an adult, you might realize, hey, wait a minute, that wasn't so bad when you really stopped to think about it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of the craziest days you think, oh, I would just love to be going for a stroll through the quiet woods Mm -hmm. and, you know, meeting up with friends at the one, you know, pizza place sort of thing. (laughs) Like, that actually feels really wonderful.
0: So readers might not know this, but you're an accountant by day. What led you to thriller writing?
3: Well, I always tell people that the moment I graduated college, which, you know, maybe probably a month or two later, really, but it sounds better to say the moment I graduated, I was like, oh, no, what have I done? Like, I don't want to be an accountant. Like, this is not super fun. Um, And I kind of still to this day, have just been like, what can I do to get out of this? But it's, you know, it's hard to walk away. There's financial security there. And I kind of, I've made a lot of choices in my accounting career to get further and further from that very corporate, very, very stressful sort of environment to like, now I do accounting for movies and it, you know, there's some fun there, but it's just like, everything has been this step to, what else can I be doing? I need an outlet. I need to be doing something that I can fantasize (laughs) will take me away from here. (laughs) So that's kind of how it's, that's how I decided, like, I'm going to try to write a book. And I just like thrillers. I think those are what I read. I find them very interesting. And just, you know, I like the pacing. And that's kind of how I landed there.
0: So now that you've written this debut, is there really no going back?
3: I'd love that to be the case. I hope so. The good thing about my job is it's freelance and I can kind of take a movie when I want and not. So it's not, I don't have to do some defiant, like, put my things in a box and be like, see ya, suckers. You know, I can, <laughs> I can kind of do both as long as I need to.
0: <laughs> and do you think you'll stick with the thriller genre? or You might want to try to flex some other sort of creative muscle.
3: Well, I'll never say never, but I I really like thrillers. I I don't see I don't see anything else right now, but of course, you know, if something struck me, I'm not opposed to it by any means. Well, I'll look forward to uh, reading whatever
0: else you might come up with. In the meantime, people can go pick up The Prize Girl, Amy K Green. Thank you for talking to us today about it. Thank you so much for having me. And that's where we'll close the book on this chapter. Next week, we feature a book riddled with mistakes. Trust me, it's not what you think. Until then, keep tabs on us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.